coming in with a semi plan. I was trying to remember any of those phrases. Direction. Do what? I was trying to remember any of those phrases in what's his face's stand up bit. Like the phrases that are meaningless. And I couldn't think of a single one. <laughs> like, no, Gary Goldman? Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of literally any of them. I'm Gary Goldman. You said per usual, and I was like. <laughs> The other, why, can, why can literally not think of any? What? Because the only one that I can think of, I love him, and we've got all of his specials, but my uh, my favorite bit's forever going to be the fucking naming of the, or abbreviating the states bit. That it's like 15 funny. minutes and it's just about state abbreviation. <laughs> <laughs> you sassy minx. <laughs> Why can I not remember any of this? I don't know, but now I definitely know what we're listening to while we're cooking dinner today. <laughs> mm. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. At the end of the day. At the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, once again, hubba 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 Kristen Bloom. I am actually super excited because, like, I'm nearing... Killing the dress. Thank you. I'm nearing... looking for peaches. Couldn't stop staring at peaches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nearing the end of my second go around on the first workout program that I'm doing. Cause yeah. uh, tried to advance up to the second uh, ver- level of the program, and I was like, "This is really fucking hard." <laughs> so I did my my first one again, and I'm on. Uh, I'm almost on week eight. I have like two more days left of week seven that I need to finish. Yeah. But yeah, I bought this dress. A year ish? No, it's been over a year. Yeah, when we first a year got here, yeah, a year and a half ago, and I put it on and did not like the way it looked, and that was well before I ever started working out. And I put it on today, and I'm cheating a bit. I have shapewear under it, but <laughs> I was feeling myself crushing the game. Got, got some hips going on too. Looking beautiful, sweetheart. <laughs> per usual. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. I was excited. <laughs> Why is it not a problem? Of course. <laughs> Validation. <laughs> <laughs> And we got some other cool shit going on. Just want to do our little mini life update. Um, What went live? Uh, The commercial that we did for Animal Control. Fuck yeah. um, It's not the exact version that they aired on TV. I tweaked it a bit because some of the stuff that I The bastards aired it and they didn't tell us they were going to air it. So we missed our own (laughs) first commercial. We just thought they were sitting on it. They'd forgotten about us. It got all the way up to the county and they're like, we are not showing this to the general audience. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Turns out they aired it like five times and we never saw it. Well, we wouldn't have. We don't have cable, yeah. so we wouldn't have seen it anyway. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know they even used it at all. So I was hesitant to post it myself because I was like, "Oh, they didn't even use it." Yeah. Um, but yeah, I tweaked it a bit because there were more stringent guidelines that they needed me to follow for the version that they were going to air on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lengthened it out a bit. And yeah, we had a hard thirty fades. seconds. Yeah, added some fades that they didn't want and put some music on it. So yeah, it's live. It's on my youtube because um i don't know i think i'm going to kind of reserve the nightmare boxes youtube for like our films and yeah. stuff and i don't know that i really want to in- intermingle those two but yeah brett and our brett and i's first uh commercial fuck yeah it's on youtube.com slash kristen bloom hell yeah so i'm like, proud of you sweetheart <laughs> and we're gonna do more of them we're gonna fucking keep this momentum going <laughs> very excited a lot of people have given us some positive feedback so. yeah and we're getting uh, masks donated to the shelter which was pretty fucking cool yeah that might take a little bit though because yeah. I gotta find whatever font it was that you <laughs> well I mean they got all the time in the world they're not font. making movies anymore sweetheart <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, Jax, 
we, uh, I think we've told you guys Jax has been sick. Yeah, right? a little bit. Yeah. yeah um, I think we kind of touched on it. So Jax got real, real touch and go sick for a minute there. We yeah. weren't sure if he was going to come through. Um, we've been consistently seeing the vet for probably two months two now. Two or three months. Yeah, it's, yeah, been, it's been a while. while. We've been on this journey for way longer mm-hmm. than I would like to have been on this journey. Jax, Scary as fuck. Basically, his platelet levels dropped to like none 30 something <laughs> and you're supposed to have at least like 300 of them <laughs> yeah it was pretty bad yeah so he was on death's door when we got him to the vet and it was like an overnight thing really fucked him up out of nowhere we don't know what caused it the vet doesn't know what caused it but yeah i have a suspicion he ate something and got a parasite but yeah. we don't know for sure yeah um but yeah we've been on this horrible journey of jack's medication for a couple of months <laughs> now he has uh, killed one carpet cleaner already because he keeps having accidents that we keep having to clean. So I just recently had to get our carpet cleaner replaced. Mm-hmm. But went to the vet this week and we haven't gotten the go ahead yet. We're going to get it this week, I know, because yeah. Jax has been doing well. We've gotten to taper it every uh, mm-hmm. meeting that we've done. Um, and she calls us during the week. So we're going to get the call this week. Yeah. It's our last round of tapering, and then I'm assuming one more blood draw, and we are done. <laughs> so excited. Fucking there. God damn it. That so our dog cool. is not dead. We haven't talked about it's, him in a while. Yeah, it was absolutely fucking terrifying, because Jax is my buddy. Like, he's almost six years old, if he's not already six years old. Um, and, uh, like, I've... Yeah, I've been through some crazy shit in the time frame that he's been alive, and he's kind of been my rock. So when you're seeing, you know, the way that he looked when we got him to the vet, he refused to eat steak on steak night. Yeah. that's a pretty big deal to him. Yeah, I <laughs> I was uh, crushed uh, mentally and emotionally because I thought I was going to lose my buddy, but he's back, and he's got his energy back. He's probably put on twenty fucking pounds. He's so fat now. These steroids they had him on had him eating and drinking everything. He ate Kristen's shoes. Yeah. <laughs> My $100 shoes. They were not cheap shoes. He ate my nice shoes. But yeah, we're... I I can't be mad at him. We're on the back end for the first time. Um, Like, yeah, he's got pretty close to his normal energy levels back. He's acting more like himself. He's Mm -hmm. excited about things he used to be excited about, including car rides that turn out to be disappointing vet visits. (laughs) Yeah, gobbled down his first bone he's had in a while. Oh yeah, took out an entire rawhide last night. (laughs) (laughs) So, all the positive life updates. Yeah, doing good, and that's not it. Got one more for you, team. Kristen came to me last night with a brilliant fucking idea, and I wanted to explain it to you. So, um, as you guys have probably noticed, Brett and I uh, have kind of paused the filmmaking projects we mm-hmm. were working on we didn't get quite as many done as we would have liked to last year and this year yeah. it's just in all likelihood because jack's almost died yeah and fucking nothing has been getting done <laughs> and this year has just been stressful you mm-hmm. know pandemic and just life in general so um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah we haven't done a project in a while and i was kind of fiddling around with the commercial um yesterday and kind of fine-tuning it so i could throw it up on my site and just feeling, I guess, kind of like, oh, we got to get back into it, you yeah. know? And um, I have not done much of it. I've only done a little bit, but I really enjoy tinkering with it. There's a teensy-weensy bit of stop motion in the commercial. Mm-hmm. And I did a project in college where there was a teensy-weensy bit of stop motion in that as well. And um, I've never done the full-blown type of stop motion where it's moving figures through a scene. I just do the kind where you make things pop up out of nowhere. Yeah. 
Um, like in the commercial, it's a dog bowl, and then dog treats start piling on top of each other in the dog bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I've only ever done that kind. It's a lot easier to pull off and a lot faster to pull off because I'm not literally moving characters mm-hmm. through a scene. Um, and there's a couple of um, famous stop-motion short films that Brett and I have like watched, and we were talking about that last night. And so, yeah, I want to kind of... Because I think part of the downside to the pandemic is whenever Brett and I do um, a film together right now, we basically mm-hmm. have to be in it. Yeah. And I'm not a good actor. <laughs> and I think Brett really hates it. Yeah. And maybe that's also part of the reason we've been yeah. lagging on doing new films. I have smoked an outrageous amount of pot in my life. And uh, me remembering lines I immediately leave my head the second I'm trying to pretend to be somebody I'm not. So, uh, yeah, we decided... Um, Maybe the one that I wanted to do for the film festival, um, we're going to pause for now and maybe do it a little bit later this year. Um, But yeah, we're going to go thrift store shopping like our (laughs) our old days when we did the dolls and see if we can find any interesting props. Set ourselves a limit on the cash monies and we'll let you guys know what the money's limit is. And we're going to write a story for a stop-motion film based on the props we find. And we're writing it together. I'm really fucking excited about that. Yeah. It's like a own little writer's room. It's mm-hmm. just me and you. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're going to tackle it that way. We're going to do props first <coughs> and then see what they inspire yeah. between the two of us. Because I initially, like a couple of years ago, and this is kind of where this came out of is we wanted to do a stop motion thing in the past and I was really sold on this idea of doing like a South Park-esque version. construction paper. Like first season South Park shit. Um, Based around the lunacy that was the pawn shop and we were going to do how we did a couple of them. We had like little uh, rebuilt version of the shop on a big poster board. It eventually just fell away. Well, I'd like to do it eventually. It's yeah. just very time-consuming building it. Building it all. Yeah. But this is going to be not necessarily easier because now we have to build the story like after the fact. But mm-hmm. that's going to be so much fucking fun because we're going to have like random shit sitting on the table and we're both going to have to sit here and now that I've read this book almost entirely, I'm going to have those thoughts in my head <laughs> and I'm going to have like a premise line set up and like what have I never seen in stop motion? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, and I, I don't want to name any particular ones because Brett and I aren't trying to um, recreate anybody else's yeah. uh, short film. But yeah, The best a- one of all time is the Van Gogh movie technically a stop motion yeah Yeah, we're not doing that (laughs) not doing that um but yeah there there have been some pretty cool ones out there using just props and moving the props and making a story with the props so we're gonna um do something like that just because yeah uh i'd like to revisit the construction paper one eventually but that's a lot of work for having uh full-time jobs (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we're gonna we're gonna See what quirky shit we can find, and then what quirky story we can write. What kind of genre are we going to do? Are we going to... I don't know. It'll is be, it going to be completely dependent on the props? Yeah. That's uh, what's up. Yeah, I, I I would like to go into the shopping portion totally open-minded, and just if we find something where it's like, oh, that's neat, mm-hmm. you know, and then bring it home, lay it all out, and be like, oh, what is this? What can we make of this? Yeah. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> we might have to do, like, a mini documentary on the making of. That would be fun. <laughs> that would like be we, fun. We, it's like, I've got this random doorknob, and here's a sheet of paper with a funny signature on it. You know, <laughs> it's terrible, terrible examples that we're definitely not going to use. just smuggle my camera yeah, into the thrift store while we're shopping. Probably don't need to smuggle it. We could <laughs> maybe just, you know, the, the creative process and just set the camera off to the side, and then, like 
just record us dicking around with it and then edit it together so we look smarter. I briefly considered, <laughs> um, you know, how, like, on uh, with Theo's podcast, they have, mm-hmm. like, fans do little, like, sketches of the shit he's talking about. Yeah. I briefly considered stealing snippets from our actual podcast and having the actual dialogue from the podcast yeah. and then doing a stop motion, like... Based on whatever story. Yeah, but, like, um, actually have clips of us talking, too, where you could see us on camera, and then it would go to kind of, like, a flashback or whatever, but in stop motion. We could do, like, that really (laughs) dumb, watery, sci-fi fucking... We were listening to that story about the dude writhing in pain, and I was like, that'd be kind of funny to recreate stop motion wise because it was so your retelling of it was so over the so top. dramatic. <laughs> That's not what for, happened. Yeah, for those of you who don't remember that story from like a hundred and some odd fucking episodes ago, it was uh, a hot August pretty day. Pretty drunk on Father's Day, or something? yeah, pretty drunk on Father's Day. We went to Walmart. It was hot as fucking balls outside, and we saw this dude who probably went down from a heat stroke. And uh, we basically all we did was pull over, pick him up, and walk. Him home. Oh, we drove him. Yeah, he sat it was in the front like, of the jeep. Yeah, it was like right down the street. We just had to drive him a few houses down and then like walk him back up to his house and shit. And uh, that five minutes of our lives turned into like 30 minutes on a podcast where <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like I was trying to abscond him from some war zone. <laughs> he was writhing <laughs> Under, in pain. He was writhing in pain. He was melting. Into the setting sun. <laughs> yeah, I thought I briefly considered that, but I was like, ah, it'd probably be more fun to find props and write a story from scratch. Yeah. But uh, if it has dialogue, Brett and I might do some voiceover work. So <laughs> Brett will get to dip his toes into the world of voiceover. Well, goddamn it. <laughs> I don't have very many voices. They're all just some it's pitches more than it's voices. <laughs> <laughs> I don't It'll do be accents. Fun. We'll get to It'll be a blast. Figure it out together because I've never done a full blown stop motion film at all. Um, like I said, I've only ever done like a few seconds worth of stop motion mm-hmm. in my projects, and I'd imagine it's going to be a tedious but interesting process. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for it. Um, are we going to go to the antique store, or are we just going to head up the thrift both. store? Head up thrift stores yeah. and antique stores. There's an incredible antique store here in town. It's made in a really old hotel, so they've still got like the dumbbell elevator. Like I don't know what you call it, but the actual like hand crank mechanical elevators. Waiter. Well, the dumbwaiter is like what you put the food in mm. and then move it down. This is like a full box elevator for people. You have to hand crank it. That sucks. Well, you're not allowed on it. They only use it to move the artifacts up and down the building now. But yeah, I think that's why they used to have people standing in the elevators. And that sucks crank, for that person. Crank, 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 crank. <laughs> arm day, all day, air day. <laughs> yeah. And then occasionally, I guess you got to switch to your left arm, so you just got to face the wall. And you're like, tell me when we're there. <laughs> <laughs> so you do arms. The thing I like about it is stop motion can be so many different things. Like the kind that I do, like I said, is just making objects appear out of nowhere. Um, but like with Nightmare Before Christmas, it's actual 3D models. They're moving yeah. so we could do 3D things or... There have been stop motions where it's, you know, like with South Park, just paper on the table or objects that are flat on a table Mm -hmm. and you're shooting down on them. So I was like, there's a lot of different possibilities for where we could take it depending on what we find. Yeah. So... I'm, I'm excited for genre possibilities. It's like, this is our crime noir about a funny-looking tissue box. You don't want to make your own rom-com? <laughs> my own rom-com. It's probably going to end in suicide. Somehow somebody's going to wind up dead. That's pretty much my operating system. <laughs> well, that, I mean, you could still do that because yeah. we could have little red fabric shooting out like the, it's blood. Use the dolls. Bring the dolls back. <laughs> no, we can't use them in everything. They're in a lot of things. It's like my signature. <laughs> 
my It'll weird fascination with ceramic dolls. So maybe we'll uh, do an update on just what type of props we found like later yeah. on, and then do a step by step. Yeah. This is our price range. This is what we have. You know, I'm excited for it. So Got to light the fucking creative flame again. And I wanted to ask you if you have like any tips or tricks for stop motion because I know that you as you've explained, don't have like this wide knowledge of it, but if somebody's mm -hmm. never done it before, what's the keys? Um, so I noticed this go around the very first time I did it in college. Um, I was doing like a little cooking thing. And so I had the vegetables that I was chopping mm -hmm. up just like appear on the cutting board and then the knife appeared. And then i like went through the actual like cooking thing regularly. Um, but in college, I, because I think some stop motion stuff, they do it by literally just taking pictures because mm -hmm. they're doing so many frames. So if you have a figure that's just moving a tiny, tiny like bit Like they used to time, do with the old Disney movies. Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of the time with that, they just snap a picture and then snap a picture and snap a picture. So whenever I made it in college, um, mine wasn't that intensive, so I didn't need to mm -hmm. um, take like a ton of frames. So I was recording video of it. And I, for some reason, I think I thought just because... Like, I know that they do do it that way. They take pictures yeah. um, sometimes instead of recording film. I thought for some reason I needed to turn the camera off in between every take. <laughs> so I would set, like, a mushroom down, run the film for a little bit, and then click it off and then set a new mushroom down and then record a new reel of film. Yeah. I don't know why I did it that way because I noticed when I was editing it... Um, I didn't have, like, a remote control that I was pushing. I was literally pushing the button on my camera. And so mm -hmm. if I pushed a little too aggressively, the frame would shift a little bit, and you could see that. Oh, that's, um, that's something I wouldn't even think about. <laughs> yeah, because my camera was on a tripod, and the head of the mm -hmm. tripod moved. So if uh, you accidentally push a little too aggressively, the camera will shift down a little bit. So, yeah, I noticed that when I was editing it because I didn't even think about that, that the frame slightly jumps mm -hmm. in one of the edits where like one of the vegetables pops up and I was like, Oh, that's kind of a bummer. It's not as seamless as I would have yeah. hoped. So whenever I did, um, the one that's in the commercial, uh, I was stacking stuff on top of each other. So I had to try to be as careful as I could about not moving the objects that were under mm -hmm. the stuff I was adding to it. Cause I didn't want it to look like one of the objects had suddenly just moved for no reason but I kept the camera rolling the entire time so I wouldn't have that issue of yeah. the frame changing at all. So I would walk into frame, put an object down, walk out of frame, and like count to like 10 in my head. So I had like 10 seconds of frame of this object just mm -hmm. sitting there. And then walk back into frame, put another object in, and walk out of frame. So I just let it roll as one big long take. And then edited yourself mm -hmm. out of it. That's fucking, that's interesting. You, I never would have gotten there. <laughs> I'm too stupid to be a director. <laughs> you have to be careful though, because I noticed... Um, on mine, I had to kind of like pick and choose at what point I was having the object appear based on what I had shot. If <clears throat> your literal physical body moving in and out of frame is changing the lighting at all, like you could see my shadow uh, casted on the wall as I was walking out of frame. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful when you're editing it together to make sure you pick the section of the clip that doesn't show your shadow or whatever. <laughs> so you won't spontaneously have a random shadow on the wall too in one of your frames. That's awesome. So, yeah, uh, that was how I did this go-around. I just let it roll as one big long take, and I would walk out of frame for so many seconds and then walk back in. But it was I had to do it a couple of times because, yeah, it was kind of tedious. Um, stacking the objects without moving any of them, I accidentally <laughs> moved one in one of the takes. I was like, damn it, i got to start all over. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I think if you're doing something basic like what I was doing, it's easier to just do it as one big long take so your frame stays the yeah. same throughout. Um, if you're literally doing like stop motion where your characters are moving like tiny little like mm-hmm. steps every five seconds, then it might be easier to do pictures instead of recording. But I like to do um, recordings just so I have a bit longer frame instead of stretching out mm-hmm. one picture that's not moving at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've never done a full film, so well, me we'll either. see. Me either. I've never done a film. <laughs> I did buy. I'm learning here. Um, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't even know what it's called. But um, I did buy, because we had briefly talked... Well, I guess we didn't briefly talk about it. We actually started making the construction paper. We mm-hmm. had talked about doing stop motion um, with the construction paper before. I did buy... They make these mounts that are, like I think, called Z-mounts or something. So they'll collapse all the way down to being flat. And then you can um, adjust them up. And there's like a little... Um, I guess parallel mm-hmm. bar attaching the bottom and the top and you it adjusts so you can literally shape it into like a Z shape or straighten it out all the way or like wow. tilt the head up or whatever. So I bought one of those so I could mount it to my tripod and tilt the camera so it faced directly down. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do make little, and I think it's literally just called a Z mount. I don't remember what brand I bought, but they do make little mounts that you can buy if you're wanting to do stop motion. That's just an object laying flat on a surface mm-hmm. so you can, um, lift the camera up and point it down and it'll be like rigged and steady. That's really fucking cool. So I have one of those so if we decide to and do it that way. And you got a dolly. Way, I do have a dolly. <laughs> I mean, I have one of those so if we decide to do it that way we can. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome, love. I'm really fucking pumped about that. Me too. I'm excited I, to work on something together again. It's been yeah. a while. Well, I think what the big step is going to be is I'm going to take some pictures of the whiteboard and then wipe it clean again it has to get cleaned from time to time so that we've got a blank slate to play with yeah because i what i do is i fill up the whiteboard with random fucking notes that don't tie into anything like it's a manix piece of notebook paper but it's like ideas that come to me while i'm cooking dinner or while you know we're sitting around talking or whatever and i run over to the whiteboard and i scratch down some things and then later they don't make any sense to me and i don't know why i wrote them um but i take pictures of the whiteboard and then i transcribe all of that onto notebook paper so i still have all of those but you have to wipe the board down and it's a sad day when it happens but it's new opportunities on a brand new horizon (laughs) and this will be something brand new for both of us too (laughs) so it'll be kind of a creative like flexing of the muscles i oh, guess that's all like, I, do. <laughs> I just creatively flex on bitches <laughs> well you've, you've never written a story based on something that's essentially a cartoon and i've mm-hmm. never made uh, essentially a cartoon so it'll be a a weird journey <laughs> we'll see what happens with it but i'm excited to see what comes up are you excited to write uh, I don't think I'll do most of the writing. <laughs> I think it'll be more like, but what if this happens? <laughs> well, that's all right. That's, that's mostly what you'll writing is. You'll be like, is. let me write that down. Or, no, that's stupid. <laughs> most of writing is just going, and then that happened. You know? What if, what if? <laughs> it's like, I, I think I'll contribute really small yeah, ideas and you'll fine tune them. <laughs> it's literature's yes and, you know? <laughs> I'm excited to work together on uh, writing something, though, because we haven't done that since college. And technically, yeah. even that was sort of like individual projects. Oh, the script for the TV show that we wrote? Yeah, we just all had to mesh ours together into one idea. Speaking of the TV show, I've been really hardcore thinking about reigniting my fucking 
the one that lives in my brain that we've got index oh, cards sure. out the ass for. Yeah, well, I was reading this book that we're going to get to here in a minute, John Truby's The Anatomy of Story, 22 Steps to Being a Master Storyteller. And he's got this whole chunk um, that we'll, I'm not going to get into the TV side of it, um, but I was reading the TV side of it, and it's helped me conceptualize. You know how we talked about with um, Casablanca, how it, Watching Casablanca helped me understand his four points of conflict theory mm-hmm. that he has. <clears throat> um, reading his breakdown of scene weaving that we'll get into um, in an episode of ER kind of helped me go, oh, that's how it's done. <laughs> now I can take my wide range of characters and now I know which I knew because I already had the note cards for it I knew I needed overall arcs for everybody but I was thinking of it as a three to five act structure and this guy basically goes take any act structure and shove it up your ass we don't need that you're telling these stories and then this particular chapter uh, he talks about weaving those scenes together so that you get Continue. It'll make sense here in a minute when I talk about it. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Show don't tell. Show don't tell. <laughs> so you want to get into the book, or yeah. do we have more thoughts on the on the projects or no life be, updates? So. <laughs> <laughs> so my first one that I want to do here um, is on two ninety seven in my copy. So, yeah, the title of the book is The Anatomy of Story. It's got the 22 steps becoming a master storyteller. Um, We don't have the time, nor do I have the um, desire to completely rip out the guts of this guy's entire fucking book. So you're only getting one of the 22 steps, and it's... Peach burritos on the other side of this. Is there are peach burritos on the other side of this. Um, So you're getting step 16. And step 16, I think... like. It's one of those things that we've talked about where it's like you know it, but you haven't thought about it as a basic level, so it kind of gets pushed away and it becomes like not important in your brain, you know? Um, so this isn't going to blow anybody's mind. Everybody knows this because everybody's experienced this, but it's fun to think of it as its own individual step that is important nonetheless. So it's... Hit me. Do what? I said hit me. Hit me with your best shot! <laughs> Uh, <laughs> don't know why I did that either. Um, so number 16, the audience revelation. The audience revelation is the moment when the audience, but not the hero, learns an important piece of new information. Often, this is when the audience learns the true identity of the fake ally opponent and the fact that the character they thought was the hero's friend is really an enemy. No matter what the audience learns here, this revelation is a valuable moment for a number of reasons. One. It provides an exciting pop in what is often a slow section of the plot. Two, it shows the audience the true power of the opposition. And three, it allows the audience to see certain hidden plot elements played out dramatically and visually. Notice that the audience revelation marks a major shift in the relationship of hero to audience. In most stories up to this point, farce being a notable exception, the audience learns information at the same time as the hero. This creates a one-to-one connection, an identity between hero and audience. But with an audience revelation, for the first time the audience learns something before the hero. This creates distance and places the audience in a superior position. 
There are a number of reasons why this is valuable, the most important being that it allows the audience to step back and see the hero's overall process of change. And one example, because we just watched it, and he uses it all the time, Casablanca. <laughs> Rick forces Renal at gunpoint to call the airport tower, but the audience sees the captain is actually calling Major Strasser. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, shit. Shit, Rick, coming for you. Rick's not prepared. Yeah, I have a more gruesome one that's not um, its not deep into the story, so maybe it's not quite what um, this writer means, but hereditary. Uh, oh, the, her being dead? Yeah, yeah, her... Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, but it's been <laughs> out for a minute. Um, the brother is drunkenly driving his sister home from a party that the mom made him take the sister to. Uh, the sister is asthmatic and is hanging her head out the window and he's yeah. speeding home because he doesn't have her inhaler. She gets smacked in the face by a light pole. And decapitated. And decapitated. And he's again drunk. So I think I think he vomits in the car or something yeah. and then goes inside the house. And then it just cuts to the next morning. He's laying in his bed asleep. Mm -hmm. So he has left the car. All night. With the dead sister's body. In the car, and then, like, as soon as we open with him, like, asleep in the bed, we're like, oh, God, no. And then you hear the mom screaming Yeah, and it is one of the craziest goddamn sequences in a horror film. Yeah, because, like, as soon as you realize it's morning and he's not told anyone, you're like, oh, shit's about to get weird. Yeah, she's still out there. That's oh. a decapitated 10-year-old. Yeah, and he slept through the night with his dead sister's body in that car. <laughs> well, pro probably not quite what the writer means, because that's not, like, well, uh, uh, well, he makes a point throughout the book that, like, you can put these in any order, really. So, possibly. Um, and I can't really remember too much of Hereditary. I know it got really weird at the end. I should revisit it, but I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if we accidentally left it in Tennessee. We have the box, but the box is empty. It must, it must be somewhere around here. But, um, yeah, you can put them in any order. And, like, that is a perfect example of exactly what he's talking about here and I just I've never really thought about it as a shifting dynamic between hero and audience though we do get these scenes you know quite a bit I think it makes as the audience like us feel like a bit like we've outwitted the main character in some yeah, way it like makes we're you, like oh I know something you don't know yeah 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 and that's kind of like what he's saying where like now you're thinking about like the plot as a whole, you're catching little elements that maybe you didn't because now you've got this information and the hero's still in old you time until they get to the self-revelation at the very end. And then you're just sitting there watching the screen going, don't go in that Don't room. do that. No, don't do that. <laughs> you're about to get fucked up. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any other movie I've seen where, and I know that's like a regular thing that happens, but I can't think of any I was, examples. I'm scraping my brain for <laughs> No Country for Old Men because I know it happens like three times. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's, I mean, yeah, there's definitely examples in there. I, I you know what it is? The scene with Woody Harrelson. We know that Chigurh's in the room, and then Woody walks up the stairs. No, he makes him go in there, doesn't he? I thought he followed That's him That's right, he follows him up the steps. Never mind. Yeah, there's definitely something, though. <laughs> I, in my head, I was like, this is going to be a fountain of it's information. A I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know. Hmm. But it's a thing to consider. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm talking about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, no. 
know. I mean, it, it is an interesting concept because, again, it makes you... I feel like when you learn something with the hero, you feel, like you said, like you're on this journey with the hero and we're all learning it together and we're in this moment together feeling the same yeah. emotions. But when you learn it in advance, you kind of become like this like all-knowing god of this yeah. universe It's almost for a like moment. you become the omniscient narrator. Yeah. yeah. So then, like, you're literally sitting there, like, watching it going, oh, fuck, man. Like your, your day is about to get rough or like don't go in that yeah. room great example in horror is Halloween like we know that Michael's in a place before the victim gets mm. in there that's part of the drive that makes you go fuck don't go in the room like when you see Michael you know standing behind them way off center shot or looking through the window or coming around the bush right behind the girls and they don't see it. Like that, It gives you that thrill from those 80s slasher films. It's a terrible example, but it works. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I mean, I guess there are maybe more subtle... Well, no, because they all learn that at the same time. Never mind. I was going to say there may be more subtle ways to do it, like with Jurassic Park when the power goes out. We get to see the power that powers the gate goes out, but I would yeah. assume the people in the... Samuel Jackson notices immediately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would be like, oh, shit, the Gates power is out now, too. Mm-hmm. And then, dun, 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 T-Rex eats your face. Barbasol can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I really wanted to talk about today um, is my favorite chapter in this book so far. And it's called The Scene Weave. It's chapter nine. And the concept of doing, like, an outline for scenes is obvious you know like we've done it with the index cards trying to build okay i, I think need, everybody yeah does it i need this scene for this scene for this scene but what i'm about to kind of cover here is a, a deeper he, he calls it a weave you know that's like his word for it because you're looking at it from all these different angles to make it proper and i'll just let him do the talking here and then we'll hop into it um i've got a lot of reading from this chapter Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I wrote down the wrong numbers. I was sitting here, what the fuck? What's going on? Yeah, so... You were not the omniscient. I am not knowing. omniscient. I oh, am omniscient. Whatever idiot. it is. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I didn't know what the word was. <laughs> I fucked it up earlier, so it's all right. You're om something. I'm om. <laughs> you, uh, you are the universe, problem. I am. The scene weave, also known as the scene list, scene outline, or scene breakdown, is the final step before writing the full story or script. It is a list of every scene you believe will be in the final story, along with a tag for any scene in which a structure step occurs. The scene weave is an extremely valuable step in the writing process. Like the seven steps, character, web, and revelation sequence, it's a way of seeing how the story fits together beneath the surface. The scene weave is really an extension of the plot. It is your plot in minute detail. The point of the scene weave is to get one last look at the overall architecture of the story before writing it. Therefore, don't go into too much detail, because this will hide the structure. Try to describe each scene in one line. For example, a description of four scenes in The Godfather might look like this. Michael saves the Don from assassination at the hospital. Michael accuses police captain McCluskey of working for Salazzo. The captain slugs him. Michael suggests that he kill the captain and Salazzo. Clemenza shows Michael how to execute Salazzo and the captain. Notice that, the, that only the single essential action of each scene is listed. If you keep your descriptions to one or two lines, you'll be able to list your scene weave in just a few pages. Next, 
to the scene. Oh, I don't know why I put a comma there. Next to the scene description, list any structure steps such as desire, plan, or apparent defeat that is accomplished during that scene. Some scenes will have these structure tags, but many will not. That's my first part from this. Sorry, my table's falling apart. Yeah. Um, and I like, I think, um, and I, I don't think I ever really thought about it. No, I'm like checking mine. I'm like, are my little leaf things? Our, our table has leaves that fold down, and if the little things aren't up supporting them, you have no table. Yeah. <laughs> and my drink's on there, so I'd like to have a table. Um, I like this more simplistic approach to it, and I don't think I had ever really thought about it until you and I started doing the note cards. Yeah. Um, because in high school, um, in particular, and maybe even elementary school, they teach you, like, you always have to do your outline first, and then your rough draft, and then your final draft. Yeah. But I think in high school, um, if I'm remembering right, the outline's a bit more intensive. It's like you need to write... Yeah, point one, point one A, point one B, yeah, point one C. Yeah, like, you, you need to have... And it, it's not even for um, TV shows. It's for mm. literal, just, like papers that are going to be a couple of pages long they're like you need to write four to five sentences for each paragraph yeah. that's an outline of what it's going to be and I, I'm like I feel like at that point I'm basically starting the rough draft so can yeah. I just skip ahead to the rough draft? The, those fucking outlines used to freak me the fuck out because it was basically like you've got three pages to tell us everything you know about World War II and it's like what the fuck are we doing here? It's like they would just become lists of facts and I would try to make them sound pretty like that's all that they were. See I, I felt like and I hated doing outlines. I next to never did outlines, um, except for my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. I was in AP English, and, like, my AP English teacher, God love her, she was fantastic, was really strict about wanting to make sure we understood the proper way of doing a research paper. Because yeah. per my AP English teacher in high school, I was going to write all the research papers in college, which I did not you major. would have if you would have gone on with your English major. <laughs> well, no, I, ha I had a minor I wrote in all writing. of the papers. I've written every paper. <laughs> I had a minor in writing, and yeah, unless your degree Taking credit for crime and punishment. <laughs> <laughs> unless your degree's in something where um, it's writing-focused, or it's a mm -hmm. type of degree where you have to come out with a thesis at the end, that's just not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote very few papers in college and the papers that I did write were for my gen ed courses mm -hmm. um, in English and they're a lot more relaxed when it's your gen ed courses because yeah. they're like you're probably not majoring in this my biology <laughs> teacher did not scream at me about sentence structure ever <laughs> yeah so and I really appreciated her class I'm not knocking that she made us do it but she was someone who was like I want you to be prepared for the future and if I had gone on to major in English or at least continued my minor in writing it mm -hmm. probably would have been a lot more relevant to me but um, it was like you had to do the index cards you had to like document all of your research you had to do yeah. the outline and we step by step because she gave us basically half of the year to work on this paper it was like the back half of mm -hmm. our um, time in uh, high school was spent on this yeah. research paper and you had deadlines you had to meet where it was like this is when you have to turn in your outline and your rough draft and your updated rough draft mm -hmm. and you know blah 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 until and I still have that paper somewhere <laughs> I did mine over the Blair Witch but um yeah I hated up until that point that it made sense for that paper but up until that point I hated doing outlines because I was like this basically feels like I'm writing a really dumbed down version of what I plan to write later. Yeah. So can I just write what I plan to write and then go back and review it and fix what mm -hmm. needs to be fixed? So I and always... what it really is is the raw ingredients. Like this is what is going to happen. Michael is going to kill yeah. the captain and Salazzo. 
We'll figure out how he does it later. Yeah, and that's why I like the note cards or like doing it like this, where it's literally just one sentence, which you made fun of it. You sent me a picture where it was like, so-and-so is sad. Oh, I'm going to get like, to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a bit silly. But like, if you know that that's important, like someone's upset and that's really all you need to know at the moment, like that makes sense to write this really stripped mm-hmm. down little note for yourself. And like, I like the idea of outlines like that. Cause it's like, I don't want to forget that this is something I need to write yeah. like outlines in high school where it's like, write four sentences of your paragraph that only has to be six sentences long when you're done. <laughs> it's like, I'm basically writing it though. Aren't I? <laughs> well, when I've used this technique for writing screenplays or, you know, my unpublished novels that are never going to get fucking finished. Um, That's not true. <laughs> um, when I've used this technique, the mistake that I used is I, Instead of doing one or two sentences, I do one or two paragraphs. So it's like I need this scene. And I would almost spend more time in my outline than I would actually use in the story itself. So, like, I'd have a two-paragraph, why is this important, for, like, a scene that was going to be half a chapter long. And it's like I... Like I, I didn't strip it enough, you know. Like so, I, I I limited myself almost in a way by having this more detailed version yeah. of how we achieve the goal, yeah. as opposed to just having the goal and writing it in real time. But that's the point that I'm making. I don't know if your English classes were like that in high school, but I feel like they teach you to do it that way in high school. Mm. And I'm like, this isn't really that helpful because. It's basically like a with the, dumb... With the paragraphs as opposed to the sentence? Yeah, yeah, it's basically like a dumbed-down version of what's going to eventually be the rough draft anyway. And I'm like, this isn't an outline to me. This is yeah. me doing a shitty attempt at a rough draft. It's like <laughs> Kubrick in his legendary notebook where he would draw the scenes, but mm-hmm. like he'd have little stick figures. <laughs> like, yeah. This is where I want the person. I want the person to be roughly this big inside of the scene. Yeah. And then like the next thing you know, you've got blood flying out of the fucking elevator and The Shining, and it all came out out of this little drawing that he had in his yeah. notepad. But I, I feel like the outline, the original concept, should be very stripped down. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, this is me reminding myself that this is a point that matters. Yeah. So that's how he opens this. And then I got two pages down the road. I've got so much shit in here highlighted. I've <laughs> skipped. By the way, yeah, I did read another hundred pages since last week. So I'm almost done with this bastard. Um, <laughs> I am still dragging through bird. <laughs> I'm like halfway through with it. <laughs> Um, so he, he does a little bit on uh, cross-cut, which Kristen knows all about, you know, cutting from one thing to the next thing on different timelines. He talks about that? Yeah, cross-cut. Yeah. You have to write it. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so he talks about the, the cross-cut. He uses, um, again, because it's one of the best scenes ever shot, the baptism by fire at the end of The Godfather to explain how powerful Crosscut can be if you go from a baby's baptism um, where Michael's renouncing Satan while becoming Satan and then you intersplice all of his enemies being assassinated. You bring the best out of both those scenes. You give like a religious nature to the assassinations and you give this violence to such an innocent, pure religious thing Mm -hmm. Um, because religion is innocent and pure well that's kind of the point (laughs) (laughs) the third or the second movie largely takes place no the third movie largely takes place in the Vatican (laughs) it's all about this priest who's stealing money it's it's not a good movie you know compared to the first two but it's the god father (laughs) not trying to distract you sir no 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 you're good um so this is the part that you were talking about earlier where I'm going to say some funny stuff. Um, 
But anyway, page 330. I'd like to compare the scene weave from an early draft of The Godfather to the final draft, which I'm not going to do because that's two whole breakdowns of a huge part of the film. Um, you will see how proper juxtaposition of scenes, and in this case whole sections, can make a huge difference in the quality of story. The key difference between these two scene weaves comes just after Michael has shot Salazzo and the captain in the restaurant. In the early draft, notice that the writers list all of the scenes pertaining to Sonny's death and the ending of the war between the families. Then they list all of the scenes of Michael in Sicily, ending with the murder of his wife. So if you remember the movie, he kills the dudes in the restaurant. They have to get him the fuck out of Dodge. They send him to Sicily. He meets Apollonia. Um, it intersplices with events back home. So the Godfather's been shot. There's this whole shit show because Salazzo's dead. The, the families are all at war. They're trying to figure out who the fuck ordered the hit on the Godfather in the first place. Sonny gets gunned down. Apollonia gets blown up. Michael returns, right? But they've spliced it all together so that they run together. In this version, the original rough draft of the film, they wanted to do everything pertaining to Sonny and the war and then go to Italy and do everything about Michael falling in love with this Italian peasant girl and then having her die and then sending him back into the action of the story. Whew. And in here, uh, it says, number eight, Tom tells Don Corleone what happened. The Don is sad. And then number 10, a nasty fight breaks out between Connie and Carlo. Connie calls home. Sonny is mad. <laughs> a nasty fight. Her husband beats her <laughs> with a belt. <laughs> a nasty fight. <laughs> While she's like eight months pregnant. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> strip it down that way. <laughs> now they disagreed over so, some things. Like 15 ends with Don Corleone knows that it was Barzini who was the leader. And then 16 through 21 would all be Michael in Italy. And so then he goes, the scene sequence has a number of problems. It places the plot heavy and more dramatic scenes of Sonny's killing and the revelation about Barzini first. So there's a big letdown when the plot moves to Sicily. Moreover, Michael in Sicily is a long and relatively slow sequence. So the overall story comes to a screeching halt. Yeah, and the writers have pacing. Yep. And the writers have tremendous difficulty getting the train started again after that section uh, concludes. Putting all the scenes with Apollonia together also highlights the sudden and somewhat unbelievable nature of Michael's marrying a Sicilian peasant girl. The dialogue tries to gloss over this fact by saying Michael has been hit by a thunderbolt, which is a line from the actual film. But when the audience sees all these scenes at one time, the explanation is not convincing. So basically, we feel like Michael's been away an appropriate length to have these relationships. Mm. Because it's interspliced with the chaos going on back home. Because it makes it feel like it's been longer. Yeah, because if you just watched him get off the plane, get into it with her dad, and then cut jump to there getting married, he's been there for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. She gets blown up. You don't give a shit. But you see a side of Michael when he's with Apollonia that's like this innocent what could have been, and then she is assassinated violently in front of him. And it's a huge character shift for the Michael character. Um, now where was I going? Which I, I just told you. Why am I so bad at this? <laughs> <laughs> Beers. <coughs> Beers. 
Uh, by cross-cutting between these two storylines, the slower Sicilian line is never on screen long enough to kill the narrative drive of the story. Also, both lines funnel into a single point, which is the hero's apparent defeat, his lowest point in the story, where Sonny's murder is followed almost immediately with Apollonia's. This one-two punch is then trumped by the great reveal that Barzini was behind it all. This revelation of Barzini as the true opponent hurdles the rest of the plot to its stunning conclusion. I think, too, when you have stories like this where we know ultimately whatever happiness we're seeing on screen isn't going to end happy, having the... um, which I guess if you showed them separately, it would seem kind of an irrelevant issue going on somewhere else, interspersed with this false sense of happiness gives you this impending dread of this is short term. Mm -hmm. And we know this isn't going to play out the way that he thinks it's going to play out. So I think cutting those scenes in with each other as an audience member helps build that tension. So you're like, this is short-lived. Like, you're not going to end up happily ever after. By seeing Sonny die so violently, we know Michael now has to come home. Yeah. He can't just stay away and married because then Fredo would take over the family. The Corleones would be gone overnight. It it creates self-revelation within the character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, where, yeah, if you showed him separately, like he said, like the one scene would kind of drag and it would also feel simultaneously while it was dragging like it hadn't carried on long enough. You just sat through the most violent parts of the movie, which are when Sonny's still alive, or really up until the baptism, the most violent. He beats the fuck out of Carlo. Uh, He's gunned down in a fucking hail of bullets, you know? There's like all this energy and action and then you would have just pulled the plug out of that and been like well michael's happy at least oh, <laughs> look how happy michael is oh fuck he killed apollonia <laughs> yeah, where, yeah with like i said like cutting the two in together so they feel like they're literally happening happening simultaneously mm-hmm. like you see the happy thing happening on screen and as a viewer recognize like this isn't how this is going to end up so yeah. like even though it like, the scene is happy, and it's all oh, cutesy, and, like, they, they're gonna get married and live happily ever after, we know. But you're Luca not, though. Brazzi's just been killed. Yeah. Sonny's just been shot. Yeah, like, we know, like, you don't get to hide away here and mm-hmm. just be happy. So we feel, even in these happy scenes, the impending doom of what's coming. So, yeah, yeah it's I, I think cutting stuff like that together helps build tension for the audience even if the character in the scene is kind of naive to yeah. what's happening I fucking I love the god <laughs> <laughs> and then one more little bit of note but yeah guys buy this book and just read chapter 9 like for me personally this has been my favorite chapter I would love because he goes into multi-strand plot scene weaving for television shows and there's uh, a beautiful example from ER which I'm not familiar with the show I've never seen ER I think um, I've seen like a episode but that's yeah. it but he picks a episode from 2000 where George Clooney got his start though <laughs> um, so he picks an episode from ER that has five individual plot lines and then he breaks down all of the beats for this entire episode he had done scrubs yeah that's what I was saying I was like can you pick a show I know <laughs> do scrubs do scrubs <laughs> what's that is it a white t-shirt haha <laughs> 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 Make fun of your real laugh, but your fake laugh was absurd. Ha ha. Ha ha. I'm an angry goose. Ha <laughs> 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 ha. That sounds like Pee Wee Herman. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. 
ER, which neither of us are familiar with. <laughs> yeah. So it breaks down ER and it shows you like all of these how like the episode overall, if you can look at it, is about drug addiction, but it's like different levels for all the different characters. Like one of the drugs is one of the characters has a bipolar mother, I guess, and she goes off of her meds and shoplifts. And then the other one is like a young girl who's overdosed and her boyfriend was one of the doctor's nephews or some shit like that. And so your overall theme for the episode, which is more identifiable, I think, in TV shows because they are more episodic, especially mm-hmm. post 9-11 television outside of like The Office. You know, like you get these social lessons that they try to teach you through um, episodic shows. This is the one where we tell them it's bad to hit women. You know? <laughs> uh, so it's more identifiable in that way in post 9-11 shows. Um but it explains it. Yeah. Go for it. My last piece. Have we talked about this one before, my love? I don't think so. Does it pop up in literally everything about writing, my love? The next one. What do we... I don't know. It what was do... sent here by the Illuminati. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would catch on. I was like, do you need to look at the piece of paper? What are we talking about? It is the all-important triangle. <laughs> the triangle for the scene. The Illuminati. The beginning of the scene should frame what the whole scene is about. The scene should then funnel down to a single point with the most important word or line of dialogue stated last. See, they totally could have done this with the episode where Dr. Cox learns that his He's brother-in-law is dead. No, that his brother-in-law is dead. <laughs> like, that would have been a fantastic episode because the whole episode, we're led to believe... You know, he's just moody, and we don't really know why, and the brother-in-law keeps trying to cheer him up, and then we find out at the tell-in he's going to the funeral. Like, that would have been a fantastic example. Of the pyramid. And they didn't give it to us. Yeah. So explain the pyramid, love. Because we've covered the pyramid fucking hundreds of times. I just bring it up because it comes up in all the writing things. I'm a little buzzed. I don't think I should explain anything. (laughs) You got this. uh, (laughs) If you want to see a good breakdown of the pyramid, there's a video on YouTube, I believe it was, where Anthony... Not Anthony Hitchcock. Fuck. Hopkins? I'm I'm a little... No. I just said Hitchcock. George Orwell. No, Hitchcock. (laughs) (laughs) And Alfred. Old Alfie. The big fat one. Um, The fat dude, dude, (laughs) according to the biography. Um, So there he was, being fat. Um, I I think it's a Hitchcock um, theory, but his theory was that, like, you should have a. Uh, an arc if you will in every scene so you've got a complete story so every scene should be a standalone story you shouldn't have any if you have one that's not then you have fat in your sequence there's you don't need it there um, kind of like Hitchcock kind of like Hitchcock <laughs> he's, he's all about being fat <laughs> we're not being mean this is a joke about the biography a autobiography on Alfred Hitchcock and on every page they pointed out that he was overweight and it was completely we, fucking we have an episode about it called, called so there he was being, being fat, fat. <laughs> they're explaining his life during World War One in London and like he was a he was a chubby boy dodging bombs and it's what the fuck are you doing anyway so if you were gonna write a story about Hitchcock's life the theme would be he's fat <laughs> And then you want to funnel down this big idea of being fat to being really fat at the bottom. No, <laughs> so, so you've got the broad the broad frame, and then it ends in your key. And 
my favorite example of this is again my one of my favorite scenes ever is the coin toss where we're coming in it's about fate like the whole coin toss scene in no country for old men is about this concept of fate that this coin was fated to be here i was fated to be here you were fated to be here and, and whether you live or die yeah whether you live or die is this coin i'm not in control of it you're not in control of it flip it around where do we go and then we have this beautiful tension where it boils down basically i'm not fucking around here <laughs> you you see the change in sugar where he, he he's getting asked all these questions where are you from what does it matter where i'm from friendo <laughs> and we, we we feel that tension tightening in on the gas station attendant and then the coin comes out and the concept of fate becomes really clear this coin is stamped 1956 it's traveled x amount of years to get here and now it's here he flips the coin he gets to live and Chigar's final words in that scene are put it anywhere but not in your pocket or else it'll get mixed up with all the others and become just a coin. Which it is. Which it is. <laughs> and that, to me, is like my favorite way of conceptualizing the triangle because it starts off so ludicrous, if you remember. Mm -hmm. The gas station attendants, you know, just, you know. Like, just ask them about the weather or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, How's and, the weather yeah. out your way? What way is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I've never really thought about it, but yeah, the um, in whatever episode, whatever season it is, where we find out um, Doctor Cox's brother-in-law yeah. has passed away because he had was it leukemia? leukemia I yeah, think, leukemia. Yeah. Um, the episode starts really kind he's of taking all the pictures and being really goofy and trying to cheer him up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and at the end, he's basically like, "Dude, you can't fucking keep doing this." <laughs> yeah, and the episode starts out relatively innocent and you really don't I think realize and I, I don't feel like I'm like being naive like first viewing I did not realize that he was dead like it was well, really I think well in, done. I think what they do to cover up Cox and if I uh, cover up Cox <laughs> um, if I remember correctly and I haven't seen that episode in a while but I know which one you're talking about he's I think he loses, he loses a patient and he's going through that fucking deposition yeah like he's so gotten you, yeah he's feeling guilty for having killed somebody is kind of what we're presented with mm -hmm. yeah and he's just moody mm -hmm. the entire episode and as an audience we don't really get a true sense of why but yeah i think you're right yeah a patient has recently died and he's being reviewed something like that as to whether or not it was his fault and mm -hmm. ultimately the review comes out that it wasn't his fault but his mood doesn't elevate and it's yeah. like near the end of the episode and we realize that's not what's going on and he's almost hysterical at the end of the episode because he mm -hmm. thinks he's planning a birthday party for his son yeah and that he's going to a birthday party for his son and he's so worried about how well it's gonna go mm. and then we get that bam realization of where do you think we're, we are and we look around and realize we're at a funeral yeah and you see the photo of the dead brother-in-law and yeah that's a i think an example of an episode that did a really good job of that because almost cried right there <laughs> scrubs is like easily one of my favorite tv shows until like the last two seasons it, when the writers strike up where we've talked about like leaving the bread breadcrumbs it's yeah. an episode where at the beginning you don't see that coming and then after you get the revelation you're like oh man that was kind of obvious though wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's like your sixth sense moment where it's like of course he was dead the whole fucking time <laughs> man, we should rewatch that i haven't seen that yeah. in a long time it's a good movie and the usual suspect <laughs> But yeah, I, I like that idea of you get this very kind of vague overarching theme and as the episode yeah. or movie or whatever it is or book tightens in, 
we kind of come to this inevitable conclusion that you can backtrack to and be like, oh, we were here all along. Yeah, we haven't changed anything. We've been told this story, but now we can look backwards into it. Cormac McCarthy is beautiful at that throughout all of his novels. I've only seen one movie based on his books, but I know that there are a couple of books that they've turned into movies. But like The Road, you know, is this apocalyptic story where it's the dude and he's just trying to keep his kid alive and the whole time he's like dying of tuberculosis or some shit if I remember correctly and um, it's like the desperation of the father's love to like care for his child in this apocalyptic world is like your overall theme and it all boils down to this concept of keeping the flame you know you gotta keep the flame in your heart no matter how small you know and that same theme ties in again to the end of No Country he he likes to use um this concept of the flame, like a guiding light in almost all of his stories, but no two are more clearer than the concept of the road being the very end of no country where if you've seen the movie last scene in that film, Tommy Lee Jones sitting with his wife, explaining this dream he's had about his father riding off past him in the middle of the night in the desert, trying to set the fire for them that he's going to give them this guiding principle. And that's no country. <laughs> I like thinking about things like this because you sound smarter than you are. <laughs> you are smart. <laughs> You're very smart. You ready, love? I am ready. Ready? You're going to go make some peach uh, from Thug Kitchen? If you guys don't own the Thug Kitchen books, you need to get the Thug Kitchen books. They're fucking incredible. They're very time-consuming. <laughs> yes, yeah, we're going to spend the next like hour plus working on this yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's gonna be tasty and we're gonna, gonna be, be drunk also if you're into um trying new recipes and trying new lifestyle decisions oh she glows is also a vegan book that's really good that yeah. that lady knows her sauces fuck yeah i love you sweetheart i love you i love that love that dress <laughs> love you i love you i love that dress Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> no um you know what doesn't have the triangle William S. Burroughs Naked Lunch. There's no fucking point. That shouldn't have been written. I don't know why people celebrate that goddamn heroin addict. Citizen King. I'm just kidding. There is a point to Citizen King, but I just don't like it. I just don't know what it is. I know that it has to exist. I know that uh, childhood is a more simplistic time, and that's about all I learned. And I feel like that's kind of fucking obvious. Oddly enough, the same exact point um, of The Shining. <laughs> All work and no play makes Jack a very uh, dull boy. Yeah. <sighs> and then there's that weird blowjob scene for no reason. <laughs> blowjob scene? Yeah. Shining? Yeah, there's a scene where he he's walking down the hallway and like at this point oh, Jack yeah, yeah, has yeah. kind of lost his shit. And thought, there's a dude I th- in a I thought bear you meant suit Jack, or a dog yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah, he's dressed up like a puppy. Giving a dude a blowjob. Kubrick, motherfucker. For what reason? I don't know. Kubrick. All right, love. Adulthood. Let's get the fuck out of here. I'm going to go make me some fucking bitches.